Hi, everybody. Welcome to another edition of Packers Unscripted from Packers.com. I am Mike Spofford, joined, as always, by my trusted colleague, Weston Hodkowitz, and he's right here in the studio. Hi, Wes. Hey, Michael. It's it feels been a like while. It's been a minute since we've been in this setup, but I'll tell you what. Kind of like hopping on a bike, going back to your grandparents' house. You just feel right back at home. That's I'm right. happy to be back in the studio with That's you. That's right. It's like we never left in some ways. <laughs> but uh, we do have a lot to talk about on this show. First and foremost, the 53-man roster for the Green Bay Packers, which is still undergoing some adjustments here and there. But the biggest thing that stands out about this Packers roster heading into the 2023 season, Wes, is it is awfully young. It is. Now, we won't be able to get the actual NFL superlatives on where the Packers rank and how they do all that kind of data management. The NFL will pump that out after week one. But at this point in time, I know Jason Wildey was crunching some of the numbers. Some other people on Twitter were doing it. An average age right around 25 for Green Bay, which is incredibly low compared to obviously the most recent years. But then when you look at the NFL and the way things are structured, usually it's more in that 26, 27 range. But the Green Bay Packers right now with only one player, I think, over 30, and that's David Bakhtiari after right. the decision to, to let go of Pat O'Donnell. So it gives you an idea of where they're heading. One of the things I really did enjoy, Mike, we're going to touch on a lot of topics here, but Brian Gutekunst's press conference, one of the first things we heard after the final cuts were announced, him mentioning, yes, we are young, but the expectations don't change. The Green Bay Packers still have very high expectations for the season. It just so happens that it's going to be with a roster that is a little bit younger than the norm. Yeah, and Gutekunst talked about how, and he's mentioned this many times before, that this roster is built with a, a lot of young players that he's expecting are going to grow together um, and mature together and whatnot. But that is, it, it's not as though everybody's just supposed to wait for an entire season to be in the books before that happens. 17 games is a long yeah. time. It's, it's, it's a long season. This team is expected to look and play much differently in November and December when all these young players have, you know, eight, nine, ten games under their belts than, than perhaps they do in the beginning. And th this is going to be, um, I think, more so than any other that we've seen in Green Bay in our time here, a season of evolution with regard to what this team is going to look like and, and how it's going to play and how the coaching staff is going to figure out, most specifically on the offensive side of the ball, what this team does best and what it can hang its hat on. Because I, you know, and we'll see the roster change throughout the course of the season. It always does. But in terms of the actual play on the field, we may be looking at a very different team in the second half of the season than the one in the first half of the season as everybody figures things out. More so than any other year I've covered. Now, you were here during some of the very early years of the Mike McCarthy era. Those teams also trended very young as well. But to me, I look at it as also a huge opportunity because more than any other year, I think, where I cut, whether it was covering final cuts and the roster construction of the practice squad, there's so much young talent at all these positions, right? When you look at receiver, how deep Green Bay goes with a guy like Malik Heath making this roster. Grant DuBose comes back on the practice squad. But then you also have, you know, Jaden Reed coming in and as, you know, Brian Gutekunst even said, looking a lot more polished than I think a lot of people thought he was going to as a rookie second-round pick. The tight end situation with Luke Musgrave and Tucker Craft, you know, defensively, this plethora of defensive linemen that are going to be stepping in with Kenny Clark into this starting lineup. 
I think that is where the Packers really can separate themselves this year because I, I give Matt LaFleur a lot of credit. I give Mike McCarthy a lot of credit. Their teams did typically get better throughout the course of the year. They always seem to play their best ball in December is the reason why Matt LaFleur's record is what it is during the final month of the season. But that being said, the ceiling, the upside, the limitless potential of this group, I think is going to be what, you know, are going to make the biggest difference. I made a joke, not a joke, it was serious, but kind of a funny, a quip, if you will, <laughs> an insider inbox about people asking about the opener against Chicago and the importance of it. It's huge. It's a really important game. But it pales into comparison of what the Week 18 game against the Chicago Bears yep. should be and what the Packers want that game to be. And I think throughout the course of this year, you're going to see this team take its lumps at times, but I think you're going to see tremendous growth as well. Yeah, and for all, for all the anticipation and excitement about Week 1 against the Chicago Bears at Soldier Field, it just feels like win or lose, whatever the score is, there's there's almost nothing about that game that's going to define the 2023 Green no. Bay Packers. And week one never really defines any team, but even more so this year, um, it seems that uh, it, it's that's going to be this team just getting out of the starting blocks. And but you don't know what uh, you don't know what the rest of that race is uh, yep. is going to look like. Well, one of the reasons that this team is as young as it is statistically is because not one not two but three undrafted rookies made this 53-man roster you wrote about them on our website there's a story on packers.com to check out and of course i'm talking about receiver malik heath who you already mentioned running back emmanuel wilson who won the number three running back job and then outside linebacker brenton cox jr um it keeps a streak going now of 19 years in which the Packers will have an undrafted rookie on their week run, week one roster, but more so than just the streak. Three guys in a year in which the Packers had 13 draft picks. Yep. Three undrafted guys ended up busting through and making the 53. It's a it's a credit to them, also a credit to the, to the scouting department that uh, um, you know the building of the team, the building the the. The acquisition of new players doesn't end when the draft ends. There are a lot of guys that uh, that are brought in here to get a look, and the ones that take advantage of uh, that opportunity, sometimes they stick around. Well, and it's funny to me because college free agency, it's such a free-for-all, right? I mean, now certainly you build some relationships, you make some phone calls, but it literally is just teams being able to just grab whatever players they can get afterwards. I mean, it's like a, you know, it's like uh, college recruiting on like just a complete trip, yeah. right? Where it's yeah. like you're just trying to get as many people as possible. But I think Brian Gutekunst and his scouts, in my opinion, this was the, the strongest UFA class they've had so far. Because I think there's guys on this practice squad, too, that can play in this league. It's just the way the numbers work out. But those three guys, I think, all stood out for very different reasons. When you look at Malik Heath, I think there are a lot of parallels there with him and Romeo Dobbs. This is a guy that, one, did not look like an undrafted free agent. But at times, I, I'll be honest with you, Mike, there were times in the OTAs, I'm like, is this guy even a rookie? I mean, he just he was wise beyond his years. And you know, and as you know, Brian Gutekun said when he addressed the media on Wednesday, this is a guy that had some stuff happen in college. He would have probably gotten drafted had it not been for that. But he, you know, the Packers, they do their background checks. They feel good about these players. The same thing with Brenton Cox Jr. And they bring him in and give an opportunity in a clean slate. I thought Heath completely maximized that. Led the Packers in receiving four, 12 catches for 146 yards in the preseason. He was able to be a starter with the offense with Romeo Dobbs dealing with a hamstring in the preseason finale. Kind of a precautionary thing, but the Packers wanted to you know, give Heath that opportunity. 
and you know made a big catch on the 15 play 80 yard drive everything you wanted to see from Heath in this game in this preseason you saw it whether it was the pass catching or even him blocking a guy into a you know field goal net on the <laughs> sidelines um, and then quickly just to touch on with Emmanuel Wilson here's a guy that spent three days in Denver after the draft got cut ends up in Green Bay he had taken a top 30 visit here there was interest from Green Bay but is looking at a pretty tall depth chart where you have Patrick Taylor coming back, special teamer, fourth-year veteran. You had Tyler Goodson looking really good after working out this offseason with Aaron Jones. And then Lou Nichols, who was the seventh-round pick out of Central Michigan as a rookie. Injuries happen. Wilson gets his opportunity. And yep. as I wrote in our, that story, he just made himself undeniable. Yeah, and it's funny. I, I admit I, uh, I was steered wrong in some respects on the number three running back competition because when – Wilson's star was starting to rise. We heard from Matt LaFleur, I believe it was after the New England preseason game, and he was talking about, well, he's got a long ways to go in pass protection. He hasn't done too much on special teams. We really need him to work on his conditioning, yep. you know, you know, to, to be able to carry the ball 15, 16 times in a game. I thought, okay, they're just, you know, they're downplaying this and they're going to try to slip him through to the practice yeah. squad. This is not a guy who's going to make the roster. And lo and behold, when push came to shove and the decision had to be made, they're like, no, this is this is our number three running back. This is the guy that we want on the 53. I think with Brenton Cox, it's a very interesting case. As uh, um, as most folks know, he had some off-the-field issues. He was dismissed from two programs in the Southeastern Conference. Packers give him a chance as an undrafted guy. They say, hey, same thing with Malik Heath in a lot of ways. It's like, hey, it's a clean slate here. You get to start over, so make the most of it. And and he does, and what you have now for the Packers, that outside linebacker, you've got Preston Smith and Rashawn Gary. Right behind them, you have a first-round draft pick in Lucas Van Ness, a second-year guy in Kingsley Enigbari who showed some real potential as a rookie. you got Justin Hollins, a veteran who yeah. came in last year, played a half a dozen games and made an impact in Joe Barry's defense. And then you're adding Brenton Cox as a sixth guy to that group. It's almost like adding another draft pick yeah. because from a talent perspective – Brenton Cox would have been drafted and, and who knows maybe I mean you know I don't want to make a prediction necessarily but probably anywhere from like the third to the fifth round maybe is is where his where his talent it's could a have five fallen star recruit it, you know? without without anything else uh, you know in the equation so it's as though the Packers took the outside linebacker group they ended last season with you're bringing back Rashawn Gary and you added two draft picks yeah. in Lucas Van Ess and Brenton Cox Jr. The this group as far as the the edge rusher group to get after quarterbacks this is as deep as Matt LaFleur has had since he's been here I think that's going to be a boon for Joe Barry as he uh, as he devises what to do defensively and I think that's the most impressive thing Mike is you look at running backs outside linebackers and receivers those are three of the deepest positions the Packers had in the roster and these guys it isn't like they just okay we needed a fourth guy to fill out a depth chart. All these guys competed to earn those spots. And now it, the possibilities of this group. I, I look at that defensive front too, Mike, the, the ways you can mix and match guys. Rashawn Gary, it sounds like he's going to be on a pitch count earlier this season, according to Matt LaFleur, as they tried to work him back. But you got a guy like Kingsley and Ingbari to eat some of those snaps. You have Justin Hollins. You're bringing along two rookies along with them. It's an intriguing, intriguing group. And I think that's, again, getting back to that upside and this, this you know, sky's the limit for this group. 
that is going to be what carries them, I think, throughout the course of this season. Yeah. Want to get to some other thoughts on the roster, but we'll take care of some sponsor business here first. Sirius XM NFL Radio delivers hard-hitting analysis and up-to-the-minute NFL news that true football fanatics need 24-7, 365. And at Cousin Subs, we have something for everyone, like our Wisconsin cheese curds, mac and cheese, golden fries, and creamy shakes, all paired with your favorite sub or sub in a bowl, Cousin Subs, 50 years of better. All right, a couple other thoughts with regard to the roster. One is that we we saw with the decisions with this 53 how much the not just the size of the practice squad being 16 players now over the last couple of years, but the flexibility that the league allows with regard to game day elevations. Yeah. Now there are limitations on certain, you know, players once you elevate a guy three times, then you have to make a more definitive decision on on his roster status. But that kind of flexibility, being able to elevate players from the practice squad to the active roster for game day, I think is why the Packers were able to to send in their 53 with only four cornerbacks on yep. it. You know, because in, in this in this day and age, you've got four cornerbacks on the field in a game like quite a bit. I mean, you need to have more than that. But do you need to have more than that on your 53? Not necessarily because uh, because of the practice squad game day elevations. The other thing that stood out to me, and you touched on a little bit with the defensive line, but also just the number of big guys that the Packers kept ended up being 11 offensive linemen, although the expectation is that Luke Tenuta will most likely be moved to, uh, um, to injured reserve, and it will be down to uh, 10 on the active roster but even that says something because they wanted to carry Luke Tenuta through to the 53 yeah. because he's a big guy that they believe can play in this league and just because he got hurt they didn't want to they didn't want to lose him and let him go um, we had talked all off season about how deep this offensive line was how many guys the Packers were bringing back who were either on the active roster or the practice squad from last year and uh, this is a, this is a group. This offensive line, I think, is really the group that forms the the foundation of this team, particularly on offense, when everybody else, uh, you know, the wide receivers, the tight ends, and the quarterback are also young and inexperienced. Yeah, I mean, the Packers have some real skyscrapers, you know, at at <laughs> the tackle position. I I always say that same story when Yash Nyman got here in '19. I'm like, wow, that is a really big tackle. And then Caleb Jones got here last year, and I'm like. He's bigger than Jim. Yeah, he's Yash. he's even bigger. Um, Luke Tenuta. I mean, I, I you know Tenuta and Yash actually played together at Virginia Tech, and it's like these are just monstrous, you know, types of tackles. And the Packers want to see what's there. They want to try yeah. to develop it. Uh, it is funny to me that it's that they have all these tackles, and then you got a guy like Zach Tom, who's not the biggest offensive lineman in the world, and he ends up you know basically winning that right tackle job, finesse, footwork, technique, intelligence, and is probably going to be the backup at potentially every spot now on the Packers offensive line, depending on if injuries should happen. I really like the way that the, the offensive line competition played out in camp, because I thought you saw strides from a lot of those draft picks the Packers had last year. Rasheed Walker might've been the most improved player in camp from where he was at pound for pound to where he got to this year, blocking for Jordan Love in the two preseason finales on the left tackle side. You know, Sean Ryan, I thought put a better effort forward this year. He talked about cleaning up his diet, getting better sleep, just being smarter about how he handled everything. I think that's very important right now and trying to see exactly where that could all potentially fit. It, lastly, just to, to quickly touch on this, two preseason games, Mike, the last two preseason games, no quarterback hits allowed. It's preseason. I get it. Yeah. But the fact that that group went that deep 
I, everybody earned their spot there. As much as that probably caught some people by surprise with 11 offensive linemen, I thought that group by and large, you know, they earned their keep. Yeah, and when we, I mean, we've seen it before. When you don't have that kind of depth on the offensive line, you get into the twos and the threes in the preseason games, and, and the offense just becomes a mess and it can't even yeah. function because you just, you don't have enough, enough continuity and enough execution up front to be able to make anything work and to be able to get a look at these other players and and you know see what they can do Packers didn't have that problem in this preseason because uh because the offensive lines uh through the multiple units held up and allowed the offense to function and we, we saw we saw what Sean Clifford could do we saw what Alex Magoo did on the yep. final you know that that uh what turned out to be the game-winning drive against Seattle in the finale the the guys up front uh in on this Packers roster as you said, they got the job done. They earned their spots. And they gave a guy like Emmanuel Wilson the opportunity to end up leading the NFL in preseason rushing yards. Mike, you and I have covered a lot of preseason football, not just talking about the Green Bay Packers, just NFL in general, seeing different teams come in. A guy having 223 rushing yards in the preseason does not happen a lot, especially on 38 carries or whatever it was that he ended up having. I mean, Well, and in only three preseason games as opposed yeah. to four the way it used to be. Exactly. I mean, yeah. I, I was so impressed by the young man, but it's also the partnership, the synergy that goes with the offensive line. Again, it's a very impressive preseason, and now the Packers hope that being able to plant all these you know, pieces for this offense, defense, and special teams – that that can ultimately be what, you know, is going to be the thing that kind of catapults them into the season, the season of transition here as Jordan Love at quarterback. Yeah. One last thing I want to touch touch on, I guess we'll call it a tease because I'm going to be writing a story on this uh, very shortly on Packers.com. So when you have a chance, look for it. I'm not sure exactly when it's going to get posted. We talked on our last show about the decision at punter because Pat O'Donnell had already been released. The Packers had decided that Daniel Whelan would be their punter. And his story his story is something else, Wes. I mean, not it, it's not just that he you know, was born in Ireland. He moved to the United States when he was 13 years old. He first played football as a 17-year-old high school junior, was just talked into it by the coach to come out to, to be the kick, you know, kicker and punter, yeah. be the specialist on the team. Goes to a small college in California, gets a chance with the Saints as, a, as, a, as an undrafted um, rookie. It doesn't, doesn't work out there. He's released. And then you know he goes to the XFL and then ends up coming to Green Bay, but there's so there's there's so much else that's in between there, including from the time that he was released by the Saints until he uh, stepped onto the field in the XFL, he was folding towels for eight hours a day in a hotel spa, like that was his job out in California, just trying to figure out like okay what's next, like what am I going to do? Then the XFL comes along. And then not only does he get a shot with the Packers, but he's got to beat out a 10-year veteran, yeah. a guy who has absolutely been there, done that, the, you know, the holding for field goals, the cold weather, you know, all of it. And he, he gave a, a big thanks to Pat O'Donnell for not only the way O'Donnell handled the situation, but the way he helped him, uh, particularly with regard to holding on field goals. He said, he said just watching, it wasn't even so much what O'Donnell said, but just watching the way he did things, mm -hmm. the way he went through the drills and all that, he learned a lot himself and, and so much so that he, he tried to, he said he tried to do 200, between 250 and 300 holds per day while he was here in Green Bay. And whether that was um, Matt Orzik or Broughton Hatcher, the two long snappers the Packers had on the offseason roster snapping to him, sometimes it was the uh, the special teams coaches would uh, you know would would fire simulated snaps back to do the holding and when he was back home in California with his mother between 
mandatory mini camp and the start of training camp, she was lobbing snaps to him in the kitchen and he and he was working practicing doing the holding on the uh, on the linoleum floor in the kitchen and he said yeah my mom's uh my mom's simulated snaps weren't the best but you know it's kind of like a bad ball drill you got to work on you got to work on catching the bad ones too so um it was really fun really fun to talk to him and uh and i'll be putting uh putting that story together soon but uh but a heck of a story, and he's going to be the first Irish-born player in how many years? Thirty-eight is it? years, nineteen eighty-five. Neil McDonough's last year in the NFL with the St. Louis Cardinals, last time. Yeah, and uh, um, and he actually somebody had somebody had tweeted something that O'Donohue had said, I think, in a media interview or something, and then tweeted it at Whelan uh, because O'Donohue like wished him well and and yeah. all that kind of stuff. So he hasn't like directly connected with him, but through social media and whatnot. Um, he's gotten a message from him. So um, a fun story. And uh, and the Packers are as young as you get at both kicker and punter now heading into 2023. Yeah, somebody asked an inbox. I did my best to figure this out. Maybe it's Cliff or you will do a better job of me. It seemed like the first time since 1983 since the Packers have not had a guy that has actually played in the NFL uh, on their roster. But even then, that comes with an asterisk because Jan Stenerud was still here there with Eddie Garcia. So it, it's going to be unprecedentedly young at that spot. But I mean, Daniel Whelan, man, the one thing you and I saw from the beginning of OTAs on, the kid has a huge, huge foot. Yeah. And he booms some complete moon balls throughout the, this camp. Yeah, it's going to uh, be exciting to watch his career grow and develop as well. But with that, we will call it a wrap on this edition of Packers Unscripted. Be sure to follow all of our coverage of the team on Packers.com. For Wes, I am Mike. Thank you for tuning in, everybody. We will see you next time.